Indiana Bible College is introducing an all-new fall preview weekend. That is right. We have always had one in the spring. We are adding a preview weekend in the fall. It happens November 3rd through 5th, and registration opens September 15th. Be on the lookout for that registration link. We're so excited to have you here for our preview weekend in the fall. Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today we have our campus pastor, Reverend Jared Turner, preaching the first message of the school year that he has preached to our tremendous student body. We are also live streaming worship from chapel, as well as sermons like this with video on our Facebook page. If you want to see any of that, head over to our Facebook page, check that out. But right now, we'll get right into this message from Brother Turner, titled, A Revival of the Fear of the Lord. There's no place like IBC Chapel, because I, I think it's directly related to your hunger. Because God looks down and He sees what you desire to do from Him, and God just gives to people that have an open heart like that. So I honor you today, and I'm excited and looking forward to what God's gonna do. First Corinthians chapter number four is where I'm gonna turn your attention today. Thank you, praise team, for all that you've done and all the worship and all the skill that went into that and the practice. Thank you, I give you honor. First Corinthians chapter number four, I wanna start at verse number one, and while you're turning there, I wanna say what a, what an honor it is to work at Indiana Bible College. And I am so thankful for Pastor Carson and his family, and of course, Brother and Sister Gallion. Thank you for this opportunity. We love our leadership at Indiana Bible College. None of this would be possible without excellent leadership. And I am so thankful for those men and those couples and influence in my life. And it uh, sounds like a broken record sometimes, but I can't overstate the impact uh, that they've had on my life. And I'm so thankful for them. I also want to give honor to my wife. Uh, she's made it in, and I'm thankful for her. And this season of our life is uh, challenging with a three-nager and a, <clears throat> a baby. And uh, we love our girls, and, uh, but it is challenging at times. And I honor her for all that she's doing and the excellent mother that she is. And, of course, I give honor to this great staff that's up here, my heroes, my mentors, my friends, what an honor it is to work with all of you, and I give you honor. God bless you. All right, let's read now. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, verse number 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're going to talk about that word stewards here in just a minute. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Somebody say faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. Now, that's interesting. I don't even judge myself. 
for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. So I want to preach to you for just a minute about a revival of the fear of the Lord. A revival of the fear of the Lord. Now, I know what it sounds like, but that's, I'm not just talking about a negative aspect of it. And you're going you're to see that as we go on, hopefully, if the Lord wills. But I want you to put your Bible down, lift your hands, and let's just pray all across this place one more time. Lord, I pray that you would touch us. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to our hearts, that you would help me, God, to speak what you've laid on my heart. I pray, God, you'd give us wisdom in this place to open up our spirit to you and what you are doing. And God, we give you praise. We give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, of course, you've heard the verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And of course, there is a lot that the word fear there is has a lot of different connotations to it. It has a lot of different kind of meanings to it. And of course, we we gravitate toward the meaning of awe and reverence and we kind of run from the more negative side of it as in you fear for your life or you're afraid and certainly if we're not careful as Christians as believers we can allow the even the joking of this world to begin to work on our spirit and that's why jokes are powerful um, because you laugh at it or you even if you are annoyed by it, if you hear it long enough, it can begin to weigh on you. So, and I think if you read, the, if you walk into the bookstore and the Christian section and you will see those brightly colored books with people's faces on them and those folks are the popular people, they're the ones that get invited to talk shows and ones that this world likes to put forward as the good Christianity, and they mock the idea that you should be afraid of God. And, and I, I get sort of where they're coming from, but they, they push so hard on that that God is this just a benevolent grandfather, so to speak. As Brother Kilman says in his classes, it's just they push that idea so strongly. And and you as young people, I, I know you want to try to justify your life to people that you meet because people don't understand Bible college. People in this world don't understand. Oh, you, you, so you, you might try to hedge your bets. And I don't I don't I'm not judging you on that. I'm just saying, you know, I'm in college. Oh, yeah. Which college you go to? Indiana College. You know what I mean? You just try to, because you don't want all the questions that are going to come after that. I mentioned it a little bit on Wednesday night, but it's just, it's hard to hide it. It's in our name. And so we are trying to make what we do acceptable to this world. And that's really difficult to do. So, you know, you see, not us, let's say, but Christians in general or people that profess the name of Christ, they hide behind good works sometimes. Oh, well, you know, Brother Rodenbush, I was when I worked here, when I was a student, we, I worked at a law office that shared space with a Baptist convention. I'm not sure which one. There's a lot of different Baptist conventions, but they had offices, and they had their missionary poster up. And of the, I don't remember how many missionaries were on that board, there were two 
whose job was gospel evangelism. The rest were some sort of humanitarian aid. And I'm not trying to be too critical, but you know the, the temptation is to hide behind those good works, to hide behind that humanitarian aid, to say, oh, well, we're, we're into encouraging people. We're into helping people's mental health. We're into this kind of thing. And we are, but there's, but there's something else. That's not the core of who we are. That's, that's, we can do some of those things. We help people. But the, the, with the core of who we are, we're dealing with salvation. And if there's salvation, then there's such a thing as condemnation. And that's what this world doesn't understand. That this idea of salvation versus condemnation, it's, it can be, it's mocked at sometimes. And so that mocking can get into our own spirit and something dangerous begins to happen. Now, Daniel chapter number five is almost where I took my text, but but God started dealing with me about what happens in 1 Corinthians chapter four, but we're gonna visit Daniel chapter five for just a minute, and that's the story of Belshazzar. Belshazzar is an interesting character because he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, which is one of the most fascinating people in the Bible because Nebuchadnezzar was an instrument of God to judge God's people. But he began to get prideful, as you would if you were the king of kings. They, that's what they called it. He had kings under him. And he ruled with this iron fist and he began to get puffed up and think that he walked out on his balcony or something and he said, I have created all of this. And of course that was a lie because God had given him everything that he had. And so in that moment, the Bible says that the Lord smote him and he was driven from his throne and he was forced out into the field because he went insane and he began to eat grass like cattle. So interesting. And until he realized and he kind of came to himself and he began to glorify the God of heaven and God restored him to his throne and gave him back his kingdom. So it was really the mercy of God that drove him out because his pride and his arrogance had made him stupid. It had made him believe something that was not true. It had made him believe that he had created everything that he had seen. How silly is that? Because the reality was God had given it to him. So his arrogance had blinded him to his own condition. And then his grandson comes along. It, the Bible says his son, and of course, we know that means descendant and the historical record and then some textual clues. Most likely it was his grandson reigning on his throne in Babylon. And he gets in this party. And see, arrogance will do strange things to you. And he, be, he begins to get that similar spirit of arrogance in this party. And so he calls for his servants to bring out the vessels from the temple of the Lord that had been taken from Jerusalem, that had been taken ostensibly with the permission of the Lord because it was used to judge Israel. But he would... It was, there was something else going on, more than just drinking from a glass. It was this mocking of the Lord. And they were, he started in this drinking, he started to praise the gods of gold. He started to praise the vessel instead of who the vessel honored. Because arrogance will make you really stupid. Forgive the language, but it just will. It just will. It'll make you really dumb. And so he begins to praise the gods of wood and stone and and gold, and then you know the story, the Sunday school story of the hand appearing on the wall and beginning to write. 
and his knees shaking, knocking together. He's so afraid and he calls for the wise men. No one can interpret it. And then someone remembers that there is a wise man that possibly could and his name is Daniel and calls for Daniel. And Daniel, what he does is they offer him gifts and he says, I don't need your gifts, but here's, I'm gonna give you the interpretation. And you can read it in Daniel chapter five. And, and the interpretation, he doesn't just tell him what it means. He starts with a little background. And he says, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, he was lifted up. God humbled him. He honored God. God restored him. And you, Belshazzar, knew all of this. You knew all of this. You knew what had happened. You knew the facts. You knew better. But you decided not to glorify the God of heaven. You decided not to fear the Lord. And you feared what other people thought. And so there you kind of get an insight into what was going on. As he was in a crowd and he, he switched his allegiance in that moment from fearing what God thought to what the crowd thought. And so he did something that he knew better. That's what Daniel said. You knew this. You knew who God was. It's not like God didn't reveal himself to you. It's not like God didn't meet you, Belshazzar. You knew whose power you set under because your father had set under that same power. You knew better. And you decided to honor the opinions of those around you instead of the God who holds your breath in his hand. Now, that's, that's, that's pretty powerful. That's from the Bible. God holds your breath in his hand. You know, there, there's, there's some verses that talk about not, not don't fear the ones that can destroy the body, but fear the one that can destroy the soul. So there is, there is something in the Bible about fearing the Lord, about being afraid of what he thinks of you, of being careful because he holds your breath and we come back now to that word steward. And the apostle Paul said, I'm a minister of Christ and we are stewards. Now, what is a steward? A steward is somebody whose only job is to remember who owns the thing that they are stewarding. That's their only job. Because if you remember who owns it, if you remember who created it, if you remember who purchased it, you'll treat it differently. The worst mistake a steward can make is to believe that it is theirs. The worst mistake you can make about your life is to believe that your life is your own. That's why suicide is a sin. Because you're taking your own life, which you did not give yourself, into your own hand. Don't believe the lie that glorifies that. It's, it's a wickedness. Your generation is dealing with that. It's being glorified. It's being pushed. It's being pushed by a wickedness. That's, that wants to overthrow the throne of God and sit on the throne of your own life and say, I'm gonna be in control of when I exit this world. You are not in control. Now, you might be able to destroy your body, but you have an eternal soul that you cannot destroy. There is only one that holds the power of that soul in his hand. And there needs to be a revival of the fear of the Lord. I believe that. Not just in our life, but in every church, there needs to be a revival of the fear of the Lord. In every family, there needs to be a revival of the fear of the Lord. I'm just, I'm just reminded of this all the time. I look at my girls and I realize they're really not mine. I, I, don't, I don't know how to make, I don't know how to create them. I didn't form them out of the dust of the earth. I didn't breathe breath into them. I'm the steward of them. God, they get, God gave them to me. This is even more powerful in our life, and you know some of our story, but my wife was adopted, and, when, and so when she was born, her, her birth mother had an instantaneous 
regret of giving her up. Now, she was a church lady. She was a young lady that got in some trouble, but she was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she knew she couldn't raise my wife, and so she, she did the honorable thing and, and put her up for adoption, wanted her to go to a good Christian home, an apostolic home. And, but when she had her, she's holding her. And she, and she wrote my wife this letter. This is how we know this. When she was 16, she read this letter. And she's, she's holding that baby, and she's saying, God, I cannot give this child away. And she said her words. The Lord spoke to her in that moment and said she was mine before she was yours. And that, that, that instructs me as I'm raising our children. They, they were they were. His before they were mine. Your life was his before it was yours. And so that, 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 that changes. I'm a steward. So that changes the way that I do things. Because it's, they're not mine. I can't just do anything that I want to do with my children. The state would get involved in some ways of neglect or abuse. You understand that. And that's a good thing. Because we, as a society, we recognize those children don't belong just to the parents. There's some other power. And that's ultimately God. We can't get that off because that's who created that life. And that's who created your life. That's who gave you your ability. That's who gave you your talent. And so this idea that we are stewards of everything that we have is just really God's and we are the stewards of that. It, it does something to us. Yes, it, 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 it kind of sobers us up a little bit. But in doing that, it gives us wisdom. Because you see, you can play one of two games. The first one, the negative sense, is you can try to manage your reputation. You can try to care what people think about you to the point that you are, you have this divided life. You have the public life in the suit and you have the secret life away from eyes of those around you. And that is a dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous game to play because not only does the Lord see, but eventually it's hard to keep those things separate. And eventually things are gonna come out and, and things are gonna come to light. And so you, even if you don't believe in God, you have this obligation to have a unification of your life or else somebody may leak something on social media that embarrasses you. Because you've lived a divided life. You, you look at it in the news right now. The prime minister of Finland is just so embarrassed because a video of her drunk at a party leaked out. And that's not the image she wanted to portray as a serious politician. But, you know, she had this kind of bifurcated life. She had like the business life and then the party life. And, you know, she doesn't believe in God. So I guess she says, well, it's no big deal. But yet she still has to deal with the embarrassment when those two lives collide together. When those two people, her two sides, collide together, she has to, even in a secular country, she still has to deal with the embarrassment and the kind of people worried and concerned, like, well, this is the leader of our country and, you know, these big problems and she, this is what she's doing. And it just, it kind of embarrassed her and she's having to deal with this. So those things will collide together. So you know what the fear of the Lord does? It helps you in those moments protect your own self. And I, listen, I believe in accountability. But you have to be careful with going around seeking accountability partners because you can just kind of commiserate in sin by doing that. You need to have natural accountability in your life, meaning the people that God has placed in your life, not people you found. 
Not people you go around seeking and like, oh, will you be my mentor? Will you be this? Who has God placed in your life? Whose classroom are you sitting in? Whose church are you sitting on the pew? I'm not saying we're all perfect, but what's the natural accountability? But even beyond that, you may say, well, my leader, I have a leader that's failed. Or, okay, beyond that, though, you should fear the Lord. Beyond that, you should fear the Lord. And everybody that comes and talks to me about accountability, I say, I will help you, but I want you to understand it is for a season because God needs to be able to trust you. God needs to be able to send you, Brother Rodenbush, to a foreign country, maybe all by yourself, and trust that you're going to serve him. And trust that so nobody's looking over your shoulder or checking your internet browser history, but he can just trust that you are fearing him and so that he can call you to do something great for him. I said, I said it in orientation. I believe in our handbook. I believe in the rules because it's accountability and it helps. But it is a season in your life. You understand that? You're not gonna leave here and have the handbook follow you. You've gotta have the fear of the Lord follow you because you've gotta walk out into a real context where there's real temptation, where there's real trouble, where God expects you to lead at a high level, where God expects you to get up in a church and have integrity, where God expects you to counsel people without manipulating them, where God expects you to use the internet without having to have all these problems and all these concerns so that you're not dragging baggage, trying to serve the Lord, trying to do his will, trying to minister, but yet you got this secret life that you're trying to just put your suit on and hide it. That's not the will of God. You've got to get a revival of the fear of the Lord in your life. There's got to be some conversations you don't have whether or not I walk up or Sister Galleon walks up. You just don't have because the Lord is already there. So you, just, you need to get a revival of the fear of the Lord and say, I will not do that. Will not do that. So there's, see, there's this, and I'm just... I'm preaching to two groups of people, and I'm still on the first one. Those of you that maybe have brought in some secrets with you. And I don't know who you are necessarily, but I'm sure there's someone out there. You brought in something, and maybe nobody knows. Maybe your roommate doesn't know. Maybe your instructors don't know, but you've got some secrets. But God knows. God knows. I just want to remind you that where God knows. And you need to let the fear of the Lord, you will stand in judgment for what you do. Now, listen, I am all for talking about the earthly consequences of sin because they are disastrous. The earthly consequences of sin are disastrous, but as disastrous as they are, they pale in comparison to the eternal consequences of sin. They pale in comparison. I know that's not popular in our world today. We don't like to talk about that. What do you do? I try to save people from going to an eternal place of torment. I don't, I, don't, I don't lead with that. People ask what I do. Oh, you pastor. Oh, you help people. You counsel people. I do. I try, I try to counsel people. I try to get them to reframe their life and think about what God can do. But ultimately, you know, my job is to help people avoid the judgment of the Lord. My, my job is to wake people up to the fact that there is an account of their life that is being taken down, and if it is not under the blood of Jesus, that account will be read back to them in front of an almighty, powerful, perfect God. See, your, your account can be read to me, and you know what I will hear? I will hear mistakes that I've also made sometimes. Sometimes. But you know when your account is read before the Lord? He's never made that mistake. He's perfect. And so you need to get that in your spirit, in your life. And that will protect you. It will help you. It will keep you. What would it have done for Belshazzar if he'd kept that fear of the Lord? 
Well, he wouldn't have been having a drinking party while the enemy was at the gate because the Bible says that very night he was killed and his kingdom was taken from him, which means the armies had been marching long before that while he's drinking and worshiping a God that can do nothing. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It keeps you from doing stupid things that you will regret. The fear of the Lord will keep you from so much hurt, so much pain, but ultimately it'll keep you right before the one who holds your life your breath, because he's the giver of breath, and he holds it in his hand. And so that next time that, that the enemy tempts you, I, you don't need to have all these tricks and all these things. You just need to remember that you will stand before God for what you say and what you do not say and what you do and what you do not do. You will stand before God and give an account, and that needs to grip your heart. But I'm not just preaching to those people because I know that's not everybody. Because there's another aspect of this, of the fear of the Lord. And Paul starts talking about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He talks about this stewardship. And then in verse number 3, he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Or of man's judgment. You see, you're going to fear something. You're going to fear something. You're either going to fear God or you're going to fear men. You're going to fear something. You're, you're going, something is going to dictate your life. And so Paul says, because the Lord is my judge and because I recognize that, I am liberated from what people think of me. Now, this is, you have to get balance here because there is such a thing as right and people can recognize right. So I'm not saying that you're liberated from what everybody thinks. Because in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. And you need wise counsel in your life. And you need to care what good, trusted elders in your life think. But that's because they're in alignment with God. But see, if you lose that alignment with God, you will start to get off in whose opinion you care about. You'll start listening to the wrong voices. And so it will weaken you. And it will make you feel inadequate because people are really good about putting other people down, especially carnal people. You hang around carnal people, you will start feeling worse about yourself because carnal people live to put other people down. If you have negative friends, perhaps you have carnal friends. And you need to take a look at that and you need to say, whose opinion am I trusting in? Whose opinion am I seeking after? He said, I'm not judged by you, meaning those that I'm preaching to. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to, you know, his, this is his philosophy of leadership and pastoring. He doesn't go around and take polls and say, oh, how, how do you feel about holiness? Let's, let's vote. How many want to be a holiness church and how many want to, to be a, a tongues church and, and how, you know, and just kind of like put out fires, you know, and kind of be generic and keep people happy and just kind of bob along and sing the right songs and do all this thing and just, you know, just kind of, you're, you're fearing somebody. You're walking on eggshells every time you walk to the pulpit because you're so afraid that the big whatever, you know what I mean. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about don't fall into this trap where you are walking to a pulpit and you are chained by what people are thinking. You're being controlled out there by somebody standing up and walking out and then you're gonna back up and you're gonna abandon this book right here because you've lost the fear of the Lord. 
Or you go sit in a seminary classroom and somebody that's got 18 degrees on the wall starts ripping apart this book and you're so afraid of their opinion of you that you lose the opinion of the one who holds your soul in his hand. We need a revival of the fear of the Lord. You need to make sure that you are serving the one who is the life giver because it strengthens you. It gives you courage. How could Daniel stand there and tell the king that tonight you will die to the most powerful man in the world to say tonight you will die because he might have been the most powerful man, but he was not the most powerful being. You understand that? And see, Daniel's life is a miracle. You could just walk through all the different things. You know, when they change regimes in ancient world, they didn't do it like we do it in the United States where, you know, people leave and then you take out the old furniture, put the new furniture in. They cleaned house. They didn't just fire people. They cut people's heads off. That's how you change regimes. That's, that's, that's how you got power. You just came in and you wiped everybody out. It was a dangerous job to be the king. You, you, you better stay the king. Because there's no retirement for kings. Not in this ancient world. But see, Daniel was a high position among multiple generations of leadership and even when the nation changed because there was one that controlled the heart of the king. Because the, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. That's what the wise man said. And so God could give favor to Daniel. And so then when Daniel was called upon, he didn't have to cower in fear. He didn't have to say, oh, let me... Let me uh, you know, think about this. I mean, he had to pray about it, but he didn't have to go consult with his political advisors and say, well, let's, let's do a study on this king. What do you think he would like? He just could go in there and say what God had called him to say. He had a liberty, which is what the apostle Paul had. He had a liberty to speak the truth. He had a liberty to say, you've got to deal with this problem. And I'm not afraid of what you think. I'm not afraid if you get angry at me because, I mean, that won't be fun. It won't be comfortable. You know, you can't turn off your humanity. When people get upset at you, it's still gonna hurt. When people criticize you, yes, it might hurt a little bit, but you know what keeps you in those moments? The fear of the Lord. Because I'd rather obey God than men. And so it keeps you. And then look what he says after that. I judge not mine own self. So when I read that, I just, it just really began to deal with me because the fear of the Lord, it gives you self-confidence because you realize that you are not the greatest judge of you. Now, there's a, both a positive and a negative sense to that. The negative sense is every man thinks he's right in his own eye. So you got to be careful. You can self-justify pretty much anything. So you can't base yourself on just, oh, I feel good today. You've got to say, am I aligning with God? But there's also a positive sense to it is that you may feel like a failure because you've lost sight of the fear of the Lord. You've lost sight of God's measurement. You've lost sight that you are a steward for the Lord. And so then you get here to Indiana Bible College. Maybe you were the most talented person at your local church. And then you get here and you don't even make it on whatever group. Or you never get asked to preach anywhere. Or you just, you see all this talent and all this ability. And so you just want to go sit in your room and just feel sorry for yourself and just say, oh, I don't have any friends or oh, I, but if God's called you, 
You know what I mean? A revival of the fear of the Lord, it liberates you from that fear of what, oh, well, I don't measure up to this person or that person or, or my ministry. Brother Guy preached about it last week. My ministry doesn't measure up to their ministry and they're preaching such and such and I'm just preaching here. But you know what? The fear of the Lord says, God's called me to this place. And you know what? I'm just a steward. And so if this is what God gives me, I don't own it anyway. So then I'm gonna do my best. To, I'm not gonna spit in the face of my master and say, oh God, this church isn't good enough for me. This pulpit isn't good enough for me. This instrument's not good enough for me. This youth rally's not good enough for me. And you're just splitting in the face of the God that gave you that opportunity. But a fear of the Lord gives you confidence that says, I'm right where God placed me. I'm right where God called me to be. I'm here ministering to the people that God called me to minister to. So I'm just going to stand and I'm going to preach without fear, without favor. I'm going to let my song come out of my heart. I'm not going to be concerned with who thinks it's good or who thinks it's right or how much talent I have because God gave me that ability and so I'm just going to do my best and I'm going to lift my voice and I'm going to worship the one who I will stand before and give an account and so it strengthens you it gives you a confidence to say I can serve the Lord I can be used by God oh I don't have enough talent or ability you're saying God is deficient you're saying God didn't give you enough no God gave you enough to do the job that he called you to do so then you need to grow in self-confidence and you need to say if I get the opportunity I can do it because God's given it to me it keeps you humble on the high end and it keeps you lifted up on the low end. It brings you right into that right place that I'm just a steward. My life's not my own. My talent's not my own. This book's not my own. I'm just a steward of this. This truth doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God and we are stewards of it and we don't need to forget that. The next generation is counting on us to be good stewards of the word of God because if we refuse Guess what? God will find a new steward. If you have a bad manager, you, you don't throw out the business. You don't say, oh, well, this business isn't profitable. My manager is only making $2 a week. Oh, well, that's all it does. No, you fire the manager and get a new one. Because you say the purpose here is greater than the steward. The purpose is greater than the steward. The call of God is greater than you. The thing that God has called you to do is greater than you are. So get over yourself. And that, see, that works on both ends. Get over yourself. Don't be haughty or arrogant or think that because you've got a little bit of money and you're not having to work for your school bill so much that God's going to use you so much better because you already know so many people or you have so many connections or you have so much talent. It, it, it pulls those people down and says, no, you need to be humble before the Lord. But also those people that just sit in their room saying, oh, I don't have any talent. Get over yourself. Get over yourself because God has called you. And because he's called you, he will equip you. But you've got to just come. And what is counted of a steward? What's the one thing that counts? It counts for the high talent. It counts for the low. What's the one thing that counts? It's that they are found faithful. Faithful. Why did God judge the man that only got a little bit of money, that got the one talent? Because he buried it. Because he said, what I've been given is deficient. It's not good enough. And so I'm just going to sit on it. But he judged him. Because he pulled back. But you knew there needs to be a revival. He said, you know, I, I'm a man that exacts things. You should have known better that I was going to come back and I was going to come knocking and I was going to ask what you did. So the Lord is going to come and he's going to ask, what did you do with your time at Indiana Bible College? Oh, Lord, I was just, I was so, so oppressed and everybody was mean to me and all this stuff. And the Lord said, you need to get over yourself. Yeah. 
Because I called you. And because I called you, I can give favor to anybody that I want to give favor to. So I'm asking you to be faithful. I'm asking you to get over yourself. I'm asking you, if you're one of those people that you got the spotlight, I'm asking you to remember who put you there. And if you're one of those people that you just are longing and longing and longing and trying to, maybe your ministry's about you instead of about God. And so you need to bring it in and build that confidence up in your life and say, God, I, I trust you. I trust that you've given me the ability. I trust that you're going to work in my life. I trust that you're going to help me. So those, that's who I'm preaching to tonight, those two groups of people, those that may have secrets in their life. You need, you need to find an altar, and you need to get a, a revival of the fear of the Lord. You need to repent of that before the Lord. You need to lay it on an altar because you will go insane trying to manage your reputation if your reputation cannot receive scrutiny. You will go insane. You'll be so nervous when people come around. Dorm inspections will come and you'll be just so nervous and antsy because you're hiding something. Or you'll get up to preach and you won't feel any anointing. So then it's just your own intellect. And guess what? You're not that smart. You know what I mean? There's probably nobody in this room that's gonna be asked to give a TED Talk. You know what I mean? You're just not, you're just not, you're not gonna get that invitation because you've been called by God. So the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So all these people in there talking about, they found a jellyfish that can live forever, so they're going to inject that jellyfish in human beings. Good luck. You want to waste your life? Go work on the cutting-edge jellyfish team that are trying to try to make people live forever. You're not, they're not going to do it. They're not going to solve that because God said, you know, I've appointed when a man's going to die and you can inject yourself with jellyfish all you want. But guess what? There's still going to be a day of judgment. You're still going to stand before me and you're still going to give an account. So you know what I mean? So you can, you can desire to be the smart one in the room or you can desire to be the one that God can use, but you can't be both. You can't be both because you got to get a revival of the fear of the Lord because you get up to preach without the anointing, without the fear of the Lord, without worrying about every word that comes out of your mouth saying, God, let it be pleasing to you. And you're just trying to make people happy or trying to impress somebody. Or you get up here on the keyboard and you try to play not to please heaven, but to please out there, to sound like the world, to act like the world. You really want to be on a rock stage, but you can't get there. So you just settle for a church stage. And so you just kind of make this compromise in your heart and you lose the fear of the Lord. And you know what happens? You know, when your song comes out, it's empty. It's empty. It's hollow. You know, when your sermon comes out and people are just confused and they're like, what is going on? Maybe it's because you lost the fear of the Lord and you thought you could be there on your own skill, your own ability, your own talent. You, you, you're smart enough. You read enough books. You got enough knowledge in you that you can just preach without the Lord. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus because you will remove yourself right from any effectiveness, right from any power, right from any anointing. But if you just say, Lord, I don't have a whole lot of talent. Lord, I can't sing. I didn't even make chorale, but I got a song in my heart. Lord, I never got asked to preach chapel, but I have a sermon that's just coming from my heart, and I cannot stop, but I've got to preach it. I've got to tell somebody about you because I am your steward, God. I, you own this thing, and I'm just working for you. All across this place, if you could stand and they could come to the music, I'm quickly coming to a close because I believe that in this place there's somebody that needs to find a place of repentance and say, God, I'm sorry for that double life that I've tried to live, but I also think there's somebody that needs to come and repent of something else. Not just sin. I, I don't think everybody in here is living a double life. I, I trust that there are several students in here that are just sincere and they're focused on the Lord. But maybe, maybe you've let the enemy whisper to you, you're not good enough to be here. You're, you're not talented enough to be here. 
You know, maybe, you, maybe, maybe those family members were right. You should just go and get a real degree so you can get a real job sitting at a cubicle answering emails, making less money than people make in the ministry. I've, I've lived long enough to see that. My friends that walked away felt a call of God and they were so afraid of being poor and they live very poor lives today. I'm not saying that's everybody. Some people go off and make a big secular career, but you know what? I found that God provides. God provides. You know, I, I, I've never wanted anything. I'm not wealthy, but I've never wanted anything. I've never not had a home to live in. I've never not had clothes on my back. I've never not had something to eat. I've, I've never been just overly stressed or concerned about it because God's provided. So I just, I, just, I just find that so ridiculous to think that you're gonna do better than God. That, that, that some corporation is a better employer than the God of heaven than the God that owns a cattle on a thousand hills, that, hit that, that the retirement plan is so much better for Google than it is for the kingdom of heaven. That God's 401k doesn't pay out good. Well, you know, God's 401k rolls over into eternity, folks. Everybody else just stays here, and it goes to their kids or their, you know what I mean? It just, it goes to nothing. My, my father-in-law, he, he worked with a man at, at the IRS, and he had no family, and so he had to be the executor of his estate, and, and it was just so interesting to watch him walk through that process of liquidating a man's life that had no children to do it. And just the measure of a man's life. A few thousand dollars, a record player, a $7,000 rug, several cartons of cigarettes, just all the things that a measure of a man's life. He couldn't take any of it with him. Of course, you know, I, I don't know the end of the story. My father-in-law, he did his best to serve him, to be a Christian, to witness to him, and he's in the hands of the Lord. But it just was so moving to see a life roll into eternity and all the possessions just stay behind. And I know, I know some of you are under immense pressure from maybe even family. Oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. Let me just tell you, the Lord pays better. He gives more meaningful work. He gives more strength. He gives more help. He's got the best HR department. You can go to him with your complaints and he helps you and he trains you. I know I'm, I know I'm being lighthearted, but I'm speaking to where you are because this world lies to you. It lies to you. You know, I, my secular university, so many people were, they wanted to be pharmacists there. as a big pharmacy school and of course, you graduate making $100,000 a year. Back then, you probably make more now. But when I, when I really started thinking about it, you know, and there's a lot of pressure if you weren't, oh, you're not a pharmacy major? What are you even doing here? And when I really started thinking about it and the life that you live, yeah, you got a lot of money, you can go on some nice vacations, but at the end of the day, you go back to CBS, you flip on the fluorescent lights and you count one, two, and I'm thankful for people that do that work. Listen, if God calls you and you get a good job and you're working at a church and you're supporting and you're paying your tithes, obviously we need tithe payers, but that's not who I'm preaching to. And you can find meaning in that and you can witness to people on the job. But let me tell you, you have a call of God and you're, and you're gonna give it up just so you can go one, two, three, and get a nice paycheck at the end of the day. You're gonna surrender feeling the anointing of God you're gonna surrender watching lives change. Now, it's not all glamorous. There's some hard days, but you know on the hard days, you feel the Lord's strength. 
You feel the Lord put his arm around you and lift you up. I remember reading in Brother Benny DeMerchant's book after the plane crash that took a life of a Calvary Tabernacle member and Amor. And he was so discouraged and he sat there on the floor and wanted to give up. And he said he saw the Lord physically. He saw him. That's what his book says. And he came and he said he put his hand on my shoulder. And he said when that being, which he knew to be the Lord, touched me, he said there's nothing that could discourage me. There was nothing that could drive me from that nation because I knew that I had the favor of the Lord. Even though, I had to, even though I had to swim out of that plane for my life and the precious lady that I had in the back didn't make it out and I felt so discouraged. But the hand of the Lord and the touch of God said, Lord, I can do anything. And I'm not gonna give this up. I'm not gonna give up your touch. I'm not gonna give up your anointing just so that I can manage my life. Just so that I can have all these plans laid out. Just so that I can, just so that I can scheme and get everything counted in just the right place. I'm gonna fear you, God, and I'm gonna trust that you're able to provide, that you're able to give, that you're able to give strength and help and hope. Because there are things in your life after you've managed everything and get together, you will still face adversity. But the problem is you've lost your help. You've lost the touch of God. You've lost the anointing of God. And so when you deal with things and you try to lead in your flesh and you're just relying on your flesh, what good does that do you? So I beg you, get to this altar and work it out in your heart right now. I beg you, get to this altar and say, God, I surrender my life to you. God, I surrender my heart to you. God, that secret sin, I repent of it, Lord, before it catches up to me. God, that thing that's keeping me from trusting you, God, I lay it at the altar, God. I give you my life. I give you my plans. I give you my ambitions. I lay them down. I lay them down, God, because I trust you. I love you, God. All across this place right now, just begin to call in the name of the Lord. Just begin to call on the name of the Lord. The IBC Alumni Banquet happening at Mark Thursday evening after service is a free meal. We want all alumni attending Mark to be a part of that. You do need to register. Go to our website, indianabible.college. Find the events tab and register for that event. Let us know you're coming. We look forward to seeing you there. Good news to all the musicians and worship leaders who use multi-tracks. The Welcome Home album multi-tracks are now available on the IBC store. That was formerly voicevision.com. It is now the IBC store, accessible at store.indianabible.college. There are multi-tracks, chord charts from Welcome Home as well as previous albums. Check it all out at the IBC store. Indiana Bible College is introducing an all-new fall preview weekend. That is right. We have always had one in the spring. We are adding a preview weekend in the fall. It happens November 3rd through 5th and registration opens September 15th. Be on the lookout for that registration link. We're so excited to have you here for our preview weekend in the fall.